Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, Telly here. You know at our podcast, we were wanting to centre the perspectives of people who look like us and women as well as marginalised people who has been historically pushed to the sideline of conversations. So if you haven't already, we welcome you to engage through our Instagram or Facebook page by leaving a comment or simply support us by subscribe our podcast from Acast, Apple, Spotify and Google. It will make a huge difference to increase our visibility and centering the conversations we have from our pod. Enjoy today's episode. Hey guys, it's Jessie. Hi, Kelly here. And we're sounding really low-key today, aren't we? Yeah, because it's like, Ellen, what, 20 degrees today. Drop in temperature from yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So yesterday was um, the 27th, I believe, of January, a day after Invasion Day. So we're, we're recording on a Thursday. It feels like a Tuesday because, I don't know about you, Helen, but at the end of Tuesday evening, which was a public holiday here in Australia, yeah. where we celebrated, well, you know, publicly, it's it's considered, you know, quote-unquote Australia Day, where we celebrate 1788 landing of Captain mm-hmm. Cook when a genocide started um, from white people against Indigenous people. Um, it, yeah, on the Tuesday was a public holiday, and I um, it felt like a Sunday to me because um, I went away with friends and it was a really nice day, but we escaped the city. What did you do? Oh, yeah, it, it does feel like a weekend because you just had... Like, we had my daughter's birthday party on the Sunday, and then you have one day yeah. of work and then back on the public holiday on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, on Tuesday was, like, super, super hot. It was, like, 38 degrees near our place. It was, yeah. yeah. So we left pretty early, around 9 o'clock, to go to a beach, which was not nice. quite packed uh, yet, which was lucky. So... It was a beach that was mm-hmm. accessible for the dogs off lead as well. So we took our dogs for a swim. Like we literally carried them <laughs> into the deep <laughs> section of the water. Because and your dogs are massive. Yeah, they're massive. <laughs> they're like above 30 kilograms. But um, they never really swam before. Like uh, people see mm. my photos of me taking my dogs to the beach, but both of them are scared of the waves. <laughs> they're literally scared so of the waves, so they were uh-huh. like kind of stepping on the water and then comes back to the sand when there's um, waves coming in. So we carry so on Tuesday we carry them onto the deep deeper end because the beach that we went to Patonga there was not as a lot of surf as in it was more stable mm-hmm. and there was a lot of younger family as well, so it was easier for us to yep. have the dogs to get them to swim. So. That was quite nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so we left before um, just around midday when the beach mm. was starting to, you know, pick up with the crowd. Yeah, so um, what I've been doing is um, being very interested in this new report that I saw released this mm-hmm. week about how most children born in 2038 will have parents who met online. Yes, yeah, I read Which that. is super interesting and super not surprising because I went to a party a few days ago where, like, the majority of couples... Kill me, by the way. <laughs> Kill me. I cannot stand being around heterosexual couples. Fucking nightmare. Um, so anyway, yeah, most of them had met online, 
Okay. Yeah. Which is super interesting. I think it's completely, almost completely destigmatized these days. What do you mean stigmatized? Yeah. Can you no, destigmatized. Oh, destigmatized. Yeah, yeah. So it's like completely the norm now to meet online. Hmm. It's almost like it's just people these days with the way in which capitalism has infiltrated every single aspect of our lives. There's mm-hmm. some sort of like very expedient technological way in which we approach every facet of our lives. You know, be yeah. it staying healthy. You know, keeping a diet. Everyone has like Apple um, watches now, or like Fitbits, where we're like measuring how many calories I know. we're burning, <laughs> and like also being able to measure how many hits Gosh. we get on Tinder. You know, like we've managed to um, sort of monetize and numerically calculate our worth through uh-huh. these kind of yep. technological mechanisms and yeah. it's just like really insane but you know like at the end of the day if people want to make babies and couple up um and like the technology has found a way to expedite that like i guess there's that's not really a bad thing hey i guess there's the convenience of it you know you save, yeah. save your efforts going through what the usual, I guess, our last generations will be using like networking, I don't know, newspaper ad, things like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, single, <laughs> single, white single woman looking for a looking mate for or something like that. Or like lonely yeah. man in his 50s looking for a partner. Yeah, something like that, yeah. But I do believe that it's, um, it is definitely destigmatized. I'm just trying to think people around me Mm. who are younger than me, I don't think I know anyone who have that met their partner through online yeah. like dating apps or dating websites or certain social media platforms. Rarely yeah. will be people who, I don't know, what, what was the usual... Um, or through friends or some sort of like community engagement, like the church. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you know anyone that was, met through church? Yeah, <laughs> I was actually feeling yesterday like... Last night, for some odd reason, I don't know why, but something came mm-hmm. over me while I was just lying in bed, like, and I felt some sort of deep sense of emptiness yeah. in my heart. Like, I was like, I feel like I'm missing a god or something, like something stronger than human connections. And I wondered, like, it was the first time I ever felt that. Like, I've never been lulled into, like, religion Ooh. or believing in God okay. or anything like that. Um, but, like, somehow, like, I don't know, I had a... a, I had a beautiful night with mm-hmm. a couple of friends but I just came home feeling like really empty and it was kind of sad because I had never felt that before and maybe it has to do with um me reading about um Jim Jones so recently I've been getting into researching a lot of cults because my next book is about mm-hmm. this cult and um, my friend Billy lent me this book called The Road to Jonestown by Jeff Gwynn, mm-hmm. um, where they, he talks about his life and how Jim Jones, you know, for all those people who don't know, I'm sure you know, in 1978, there was, a, you know, the America's largest massacre, you know, when people, you know, the term take the Kool-Aid, drink the Kool-Aid, that came from that incident of, like, more than 900 people committing suicide because um, Jim Jones was this cult leader. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm just... I'm in, still in the early phases of the book where I'm learning about how he started um, through a sort of Quaker evangelical mm-hmm. route. Um, you know, he was starting his career, his kind of like sphere of influence as a preacher. And, like, it was so beautiful almost just to read in the ways in which, like, middle America, like, he he did his thing in, like, Indiana um, and in, in Indianapolis. And... Um, how, like, people were drawn to him because they wanted something to believe in and they wanted to believe Mm. in a miracle. 
And like, I don't know, something about me recently has been thinking like, what do I believe in? Like, what makes me believe in a miracle? Because I honestly think that there must be something more to what we see on this planet. And like, I don't know, something about reading about the faith in which people had that made left me feeling like I didn't have any essence or faith outside of the corporeal existence mm-hmm. that we have. And I'm so sick of feeling cynical and mm-hmm. depressed about my life and like my lack of faith and spirituality. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel that? I don't think so. I for, for first like firstly because I I a person that doesn't I'm an atheist, you know, like I don't believe um, I, I do believe in God, but I don't believe you in do? religion. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, think, I didn't know you believed in God. Um, I think it's the kind of thing that will come to me when, like, um, <laughs> this this is going to sound funny and stupid, but it will only happen to me when I'm in the moment of danger, um, like, for example, or fear. Yeah. Like, for example, I will say, like, I'm in Torfor when yeah. I'm, in the middle of the air traveling and there's a turbulence. Turbulence and, jump. <laughs> and it feels like you're going down, you're like, I'm yeah, in Which is like do. for those people who are non-Chinese or Asian, can you explain what that means? Well, it's literally like the term that you say when you, I don't know, like amen or ha- it's not hallelujah, but it's, it's, it's something that you say as a Buddhist that um, you wish that to be protected. safe. Yeah. Or protected. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's that somehow it just only happened to me when I'm in a sudden moment of danger yeah. or fear. But that doesn't happen very often. But that comes to me because we were raised as in like we were raised in a household of Buddhist yeah. religion, you know, from our parents. Yeah. But um, I know that our parents. I know mum's really kind of really into religion like when we were growing up I know that you know she had friends from the temple but whereas our dad he's totally against religion like he Mm. hated he doesn't like to be told about all those um, made up ethics or morals and he doesn't believe all that kind of things so that kind of established a kind of like a contrast for us as kids to make the critical thinkings ourselves yeah and then to me, um, I don't know the rest of our siblings. Well, like, we never really talked about it, but I don't really see our other two siblings really follow religion either. Yeah, we're all very sceptical yeah. people, which I think is really healthy. Yeah, yeah. And my partner as well. My yeah, partner, you know, partner is a very scientific-based like person. Against he hates religion. I just wish <laughs> I had something to replace God with. Like, I always thought that literature and books were my saviour. And, you know, I keep, you know, mm. Philip Larkin and um, Lord Audrey Lord. You know, I keep poetry next mm. to me on my bedside table. And I reach for those people to heal me in times of, like, grief and sadness and loneliness. But, like, I don't know. Just suddenly last night I felt, like, really like I wanted something more. Like, there's got to be something more mm-hmm. than human connection. And I felt suddenly okay. very emptied out and hollow and it was not a nice feeling. And I think I'm still kind of feeling it right now. I think that's why I'm a bit like okay. low energy right now. Mm. Are you still seeing uh, your therapist? Yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I should. I, I don't know how she would help me. Um, I see a sex therapist and she talks to me about uh-huh. everything. Um, you mm-hmm. know, not just, you know, that's sex good. related, although sex is related to everything. But um, it's, mm. yeah, I don't know. It um, it might just also be the weather, <laughs> which I'm yeah, like bringing everything back. Yeah, I think the weather plays to. a big part of it. 
Yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, like I think I want to just be inspired by something greater than human beings and maybe being around nature on Tuesday made me a bit sad because I'm usually so detached from it. Because um, we went for a little bushwalk around Heathcote. Yeah, it was really okay. nice. Um, oh, that's unusual. I mean, I'm not here to judge you, but usually people um, get in touch with nature that they will feel a bit more... Enlivened. Optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about being in nature that made me recognise that I will always lack something that the animals have I don't know I just always so there's feel a like, comparison yeah I always feel like animals and insects and birds I have this feeling like they know some secret about the world that we humans are <laughs> just too self-involved and mass masturbatory mm. to like ever be aware that there is a wider world out there um, uh-huh. and there are secrets that we will never understand Maybe try to read different types of books, like different genres, because the books that you usually read are pretty depressing. Yeah, I only ever read yeah. about trauma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of yeah. trauma, um, I'm watching this really fantastic series called Seduced on Stan, and it's only four parts, mm-hmm. and it's about Nexium, which I'm sure all of our listeners know about. And like, <laughs> they're kind cult. of obsessed with Alison <laughs> Mack, and all the time they're like obsessed with how Alison Mack was one of the. Um, coaches and like she had slaves beneath her and she was a slave of Keith Raniere the whole time I was just thinking she was just like some co-star in some one-time big tv show like it's called Smallville Mm. for those who didn't watch it growing up in the Mm -hmm. early 2000s I think but like Mm. it's just like um it's really funny seeing them talk about her and like she's not even a massive star but anyway like the cult really started off as like a female self-improvement kind of program, executive mm-hmm. success program that it was called, and mm-hmm. then they slowly managed to find a way to suck in women, like saying uh, this is what you need to do in order to gain some sort of like self-improvement in yourselves. And then like bit by bit, it was very incremental the way that um, uh, Nancy Salesman, who's kind of like the um, co-pilot of Keith Raniere's program, had like lured in women and then like bit by bit they became Keith's slave and like he would Mm. have sex with them and he would make them starve and he basically controlled their lives and part of me was just like wow how do these women get so sucked in and you know all of us feel like we're we're incapable of doing that but the truth is all of us are completely capable of being sucked into you know believing in something greater than us Mm -hmm. I think it's it, it does sound like the pyramid schemes yeah. isn't it yeah i know a couple of women that have been involved in that kind of multi-layer sales yeah type of um project program however you want to call it like you said you know every individuals that in their life they have something that they feel like they're missing yeah and perhaps that kind of program or that kind of project or even that community. I mm. think it's most likely that community has someone that would just fill that gap. Yeah, exactly. Say something and then they just got sucked in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what... And it often... Yeah. yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, that's what I really feel like I'm missing in my life. Like I miss <laughs> believing in something and being really passionate mm. about something. Maybe I have depression. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need to get it diagnosed. Yeah, yeah. no, it's just like... I want to believe in something and be like look forward to something greater than kids and marriage because like shoot me if that's my future. 
But I thought writing has always been what you wanted to do the last past 10 years or so. Yeah. No, do you think has. that because you reached some kind of peak and then you needed another alternative objective? Maybe, yeah. I'm what just like think? one of those. Like it's just, it's so yeah. depressing being a woman like myself who just always wants more. That's nothing wrong. Like a woman. <laughs> I don't think there's nothing Yeah, I know. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's like, it's hard to be a woman who always wants like this, the state of yeah, wanting society, is particularly difficult, yeah. I think, and particularly grievance in some way for a woman. And uh, like a woman like myself who wants, who does not want children, who does not want marriage, like that's really difficult um, because like I, I don't know what else to want. Like I, I know what else to want, but like I don't know whether I have permission to want it and also be applauded in the way that you know, women who achieve marriage and motherhood and parenthood will be, you know, um, consoled with. I don't have... I'll, I know that I will never have that affirmation that a mother or a parent will have or, like, a wife. Yeah, you know? the society hasn't I think, progressed enough to just see people as people rather than... or Just see women as individuals rather than reproductive, you know, machines. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like last night when I was watching Sex and the City, I think it was the first episode of season six with my friends, mm -hmm. um, it was the moment when Harry um, and Charlotte, they're in bed and Charlotte is entertaining the idea of converting to Judaism for Harry. And um, Harry is like saying, well, um, that'll be really nice. And then Charlotte's like, oh, well, you should know I can't have children. Mm -hmm. Because like um, Charlotte's like asking, why is it so important for you to like marry a Jewish woman? And he said, because I want my kids to be raised Jewish. And then she says, well, you should know I can't have children. And he was like, it's okay, we can adopt. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like um, it's I don't know. I'm still kind of negotiating this in my head. But is it like a fair reciproc reciprocity where? Um, Charlotte is asked to change her religion and her lifestyle and in exchange he can accept her as a woman um, who can't make babies. Mm. Like, like it's a almost trading. like he's saying, oh, it's okay, you're not a full human woman because you can't make babies but I'll accept you anyway. It's like not a really fair mm -hmm. exchange. Yeah, it's definitely not a fair exchange. It's like the bare minimum, something like that, you know. I'll just take yeah, you as it kind is of, yeah, because you're yeah. like that and yeah. Yeah. So and I'm always up. fearing whenever I'm in a heterosexual relationship, I'm always fearing this I'm always like anxious about settling for like settling for the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Like because because like um I'm always aware of the different dynamics in in like my relationship to men because men inherently hold more power mm -hmm. and like sometimes they assume a lot of caring from females mm -hmm. that I just, I never want to be taken advantage mm -hmm. of and I'm petrified mm -hmm. of that, you know? Yeah. Do you ever fear that in your relationship? Because you do I most think of the it's, domestic chores, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, I think it's like a learning curve for everyone. And unfortunately, like, talking about bare minimum and also comparison, it does come down to what you can negotiate in the relationship, I mean, I mean, it sounds like a ex, you know exchange again, but every relationship is exchange if mm. you think about it. It's an exchange, yeah. Yeah, um, it comes down how you negotiate 
within your relationship, I think, and how much that you're willing to stop at the um what's the term in English again? I can't I keep like my English Say it in Chinese. Um I can't uh no 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 I can't even think of the the uh, the Chinese term now. Yes, it's actually so it's actually it? like the the action that you stop yourself investing, the moment that you stop yourself yeah. investing in like buying stocks that you know that right. the fir- the more that you put your investing into a stock, you know that you will lose more. Yeah. So you stop right. at that moment. Yeah. It's I think it's the same with a relationship as well. That you need to know your limit and you need to know your boundaries before yeah. that you know that it's gonna go too far and it's just gonna You're just at a loss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I think a lot of women has not been taught about learning that boundary and knowing their limits. I mean, I have to learn this through my own relationship as well because I don't see my parents done that. I feel like our mm. parents have just give, 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 and then they use the word sacrifice, 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 and then they complain mm. later. But I don't want to mm. be like them. Like I know that mm. I can give, but I know that there is a point for myself. I just need to stop. It's in any relationship as well. Like it's with my relationship with my partner. It's in the relationship with my uh, as a parent as well. I know there's a certain mm. point that I need to stop to do. Yeah. Yeah. To look after myself. Yeah. 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 Because it comes to a point where you give so much that the back of your mind, because you're in a relationship, you expect reciprocity. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. And there's something about obviously making a tremendous broad brush here, um, broad stroke here, but like there's something about women that when that giving comes so much more naturally to us mm. and men find it so easy. They just take it for granted. To receive. Yeah. You know, and just like never make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. And then, I, I, like I have to say, like it just doesn't seem to me as though men are as generous as women Cis when men. it comes to just giving time, love, gifts, um, words of affirmation, yeah. physical touch. You know, it just like I still feel in my body this visceral um, consequence of like the whole millennial civilization, like the history of civilization of men expecting. Um, women to give and them expecting to just receive. Mm. Seriously, mm. I just see it so much and it really hurts. I think you need to emphasize there is usually the heterosexual cis oh, men. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know a lot of gay men, so they're just as loving yeah, as yeah, most of them. Exactly, women. my best friend is a gay man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they care so much as well. They just know. And I, I just, I don't know. Like they need to educate the cis men yeah. on how to, you know, maintain a good relationship yeah. with women. Um, it just makes me kind of yeah. It, uh, like, it's really hard. It's really hard. Like, I think I I wish there are more hetero men who are listening to our podcast now who like would want to just open up and actually acknowledge mm. and be aware of how much women naturally give. And, like, it just, mm-hmm. yeah, it comes to a point where you really need to stop giving because you feel like you're not getting enough from your partner, you know? Well, I was reading Sorrow and Blitz this week. Meg Mason. Yeah, amazing Mason. book. Uh, you should have warned me that the book is about mental health. There should be, like, a trick of warning in front oh, of right, that. Oh, right, yeah. How are I you mean, finding it? Like, when I read books like this, it's similar mm. to uh, Motherhood by, what's her last name? Sheila, Sheila Hedy. 
Yeah, Sheila Hedy. Like, it's similar type of writing style. Mm. But I was slightly worried that it's just going to be a monologue of complaint. Grief, <laughs> Grief exactly. Yeah. But it's good that she explained and there's actually a story within, you know, within the, the, the novel um, yeah. that you follow through from, like, youth, teenage years and eventually adulthood and now in the book that she's in her 40s. Um, I think that um, I I just wonder why women write so much. There's usually women writers that write about the mental health journey. You know, the mm-hmm. other um, book that I read uh, at the end of the last year, um, it's a YA novel. It's yeah, about it mental called... health as well. It was um, a surprising power of a good dumpling. That was a oh, yeah. mental health uh, related story of an uh-huh. Asian family. But whereas men, when they're writing mental health, there's a very extreme contrast because when the mental health journey of a male is portrayed very, very differently, we look at American Psycho, we look at extremely violent stories. It's just very different. I wonder why... 2666. Yeah, I wonder why it's like that. And also, um, what's that um, movie that was out by... With that actor... Shame. Mike McAvoy. I can't remember his first name. The oh, yes. James. Split. Yeah, Split. Yeah, yeah, James yeah, yeah. McAvoy. James McAvoy. Yeah. yeah so the, they're all um, very the, violent. Complete. What is it? He had like personality yeah, yeah. disorder or something? Yeah. Yeah, and they glamorize it in a way that makes oh, it look cool. Gosh. Like men with it's, mental illness, it's, it's still like a front. Uh-huh. Like it's, it's like an aesthetically hell. cool, um, sort of distant. There's, so, there's still an element of machismo mm-hmm. to it. Mm. Um, whereas, like, women, we're just We're fucked just fucked up. up and being, you know, there's a trope around women having mental illness is that, oh, you're mad, you know, you're... It's just a stigmatisation that you shouldn't be yeah. fitting into the society. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. The society has a, an awesome... Awesome as in, like, large, not awesome as in great, um, an awesome way of pathologising every single element of womanhood mm. and that's not outside of marriage or mm-hmm. motherhood. Like, you never ask a guy... Like, oh, do you have a kid if he looks like he's in his 40s? But you would ask a woman if she looks like in her 40s, like, oh, how is your kid? You know? Yeah. It's just, oh, fuck. I found it, yeah. Like, and by the way, just so, well, on the topic of um, films about mental illness, do not <laughs> go and see ever Where'd You Go, Bernadette? <laughs> do not ever see that movie. Mm. It is fucking toxic and bad. It is a bad movie. It is just the worst movie for anyone who is a woman, especially who has mental illness, because it will just make you feel like there's something fundamentally wrong with you. Mm. And they somehow glamorize it through having, you know, Kate Blanchett play the character with a cute, like, bob fringe mm-hmm. thing. It's just awful. Speaking of bad yeah. movies, I've watched two very yeah. bad movies this week. <laughs> I love it. Tell it's me, like that tell my me, husband, tell me. my partner, my husband doesn't pick good movies. <laughs> no, they? I'm not gonna. It's not. I'm not gonna blame him. The first one is called. Oh, I cut gem. Yeah, I cut gem. Sorry, I cut gem. Um, Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. <laughs> I can't get over Wait, his heard, stupid um, face. I think our brother saw it, and um, he said it was good. Um, Apparently, there's know. a lot of shouting in there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, like the first. Oh, I can't. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Like yeah. like you said, there's a lot of shouting and there's just continuous conversation of like, um, you know how Samuel Jackson, that he would just curse and continue cursing? 
there's yeah. a, like there's some kind of like acting skill they just can continuously swearing and I feel like it's oh. like the first half of the movie is like that. Oh my god. So it's a very messy movie yeah. about like an underground jewelry jewelry dealer mm. with gambling addiction. Mm. And despite that the all the critics are like four point five or four mm. I went through the Rotten Tomato um, website. Most of the critics are men. Yeah, I'm unsurprised. You've got to consider that who praises this movie yeah, totally. for Adam Sandler's performance. I, I'm not saying that his performance is bad, but it's just that he's he was very typecast yeah. in the 90s and yeah. 80s of his comedian yeah type of performance. Yeah, Billy so Madison, I cannot get over um, Happy Gilmore, <laughs> just all those stupid. annoying movies. Oh my god. The yeah. boy child. I can't I, I can't Johnson. get over yeah. having that kind of mentality when I watch him. Mm. However, I have to kind of remind everyone there is another movie. It's called The Mayor Rose was stories with um, Ben Stiller, Emma Thompson and Dustin Hoffman. Mm. I think Adam Driver was in that movie as well. What's it called again? So that one's there's, that's a Jewish name. I don't even know how to pronounce it properly. M e y e r o w i t z. Okay, I have to see it in front of me. I can't visualize yeah. that. Mayor Roll was stories. Okay, who's it written by? I don't have it right in front of me, but Ben okay, Stiller I'm... and Emma Thompson's in that movie. Okay, I'm gonna. I try actually and... like that movie because I will sound like a classes right now because that movie is about a very artistic family going through some kind of... uh, There's childhood trauma involved and the dad, um, as an artist, how he is not really performing at his peak anymore and he's need to come in terms of acknowledging that he's getting old and something like that. Oh, my God. It's a Noah Baumbach story um yeah not um it's a noah baumbach, baumbach. Um, directed film mm-hmm. so he did francis ha and marriage story oh is he the one who did francis ha yeah okay yeah it's a similar style i think right okay yeah i think that's a good film i think that's a okay. good film i didn't like uncut gem mm. <laughs> it's it's crap it's pathetic i think okay yeah. interesting and the second movie is called occupation and don't watch it please Okay, I, I've I don't never know heard of it. it. Yeah, Who's it's in it? At least half of the cast are from like Neighbours or Home and Away, so it's an Aussie film. <laughs> okay, um, you, you um, just stopped me at Aussie film. <laughs> it's a film that was made, it, that came out in 2018, mm-hmm. that it's only trading now on Netflix because the sequel is out in cinema now. What's the sequel? Yeah, the second one's called Occupation Rainfall or something like that. If you're not into sci-fi, oh, it's, like an it's action a sci-fi film. action with aliens and something like The End of the World. I think that's an Australian movie as well, if, you, if you're if you familiar with the sci-fi genre. But right. it's just very bad. It's like a B right? I feel like it, like I always think that Battlestar Galactica was a very, very bad sci-fi film and this is kind of worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. very interesting. They had some like diversified casting. <laughs> okay, that's good. But it's it's not it's not good enough, I think. It's a movie I'm seeing here by Luke Spark, mm-hmm. who's an Australian science fiction yeah. action film director. Never heard of him. The reason that I kept watching because there there's yeah. like the Asian cast and there was this boy mm. for, who played Benjamin Law in the yeah. uh, Family Law. 
Yeah, All right, Tristan yeah. Gold. So I, I want to watch uh-huh. it, but they did. They hardly had any appearance at all in the film. Yeah. So they were just yeah, side characters. Like yeah, it's not good yeah, enough, I yeah. think. Okay, um, let's take, take a break. break. Yeah, and we'll come back and launch into our main topic for today. <laughs> Hey guys, so we're back. Um, I'm a little bit more invigorated. Um, I think why I was a bit more staid and reflective today in my tone is because what we're about to talk about is something that's very, very close to my heart. Mm -hmm. Like it's very um, affecting to me Mm. and I might start crying. Oh dear. (laughs) Because um, it's just, it's so, it's still very, very... um, it's such a sore spot for me, mm-hmm. you know, and it's this thing of ghosting, which, like, I know a lot of people have experienced, and I want to talk about it today in this pod. Yeah, it's very personal, isn't it, I think? Yeah, it's super. We, so, basically, mm. for those people who don't know, which is, like, zero people, <laughs> um, ghosting is, like, when you reject someone without any sort of explanation. It's when someone stops answering your text or phone calls and, like, completely out of the blue just like doesn't, Mm. ceases communication, Mm -hmm. basically, after some sort of, um, it could have been one date, it could have been like a whole relationship, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think for me, um, I've thought about this a lot because in the last couple of years, I've had countless, like a lot of experiences of men just ghosting me. Shit. Um, And it's really, really, like I'm not saying this lightly and I'm not trying to tiptoe around this word but it's really violent mm. it's com- it's really really violent when like you have this kind of psychic connection with someone mm-hmm. emotional connection you bond with someone over a few dates and you expect it to go somewhere because you know like they text you they like through when you text someone you're saying you're part of my life like i'm acknowledging you, you have that and when engagement. the moment when they stop yeah, yeah engagement and when the moment that they stop it's like um you feel like they're denying your personhood Mm. like it really feels really violent and and um I just I don't really it makes me really hurt like it still wounds me a lot because um the other person who ghosted you just never even had the courtesy or the decency to explain to you why they have cut you off from their life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um I just wanted to read actually an op-ed that I had wrote um, back in 2019 about a particular incident that led me to really thinking deeply about this. Mm-hmm. This thing that a lot of women, I think, have suffered through mm-hmm. and continue to suffer through. Mm-hmm. So this piece is called Casual Language Hides the Private Shame of Falling in Love with Men. A few months ago, I went to a friend's housewarming, hoping to meet another queer woman I could date. For about two weeks in July, I'd began to resemble the unlikable male character in Tao Lin's novel, Taipei, who only goes to parties to find a girlfriend. I'd recently come out of a deeply unhealthy relationship with a man and hoped to bask in the warmth and safety of female companionship. Unexpectedly that night, I met a man. He was dressed like he was about to meet his in-laws for the first time. Collared shirt, under a sweater, sensible jeans, and Oxfords on his feet. We talked, and very quickly, I found myself intrigued and then disarmed. 
The man seemed conscious of the fact that he was a white, heterosexual, educated cis male and spoke in a way that indicated he wanted to offer cerebral reparations to the historically disenfranchised, disenfranchised of which I am a member of, being Asian in a white dominant society and being a woman in a patriarchal society. A week later, the man and I met at a local bar where our conversations whirled into a miraculous trajectory I'd never before experienced with a person of the opposite sex. At one point, he leaned across his stool at the bar and stroked my knee with his thumb. I felt a dizzying elation and then the familiar ecstasy of male sexual power, of being within its confounds, of being subject and privy to it. I thought I'd finally found an actual nice guy. You know, one of those guys who treats you kindly because they are kind, not because they're trying to sleep with you. I did not invite him back to my place that night or the next, but the man was eager and he showed it through daily text communication. And then he disappeared. These days, our lives exist in the digital ether. As a millennial born in the end of the 80s, I'm compelled to design a life that consists primarily of being wired to a device. So when I say he disappeared, I mean he stopped communicating with me. For about three or four days after, I languished under a compact, unshakable slab of unbearable grief. It was a sort of grief fueled by a lifetime's worth of feeling inadequate. I excavated this pain thoroughly, spending whole days questioning myself, wondering what I had done wrong and why he'd suddenly lost interest. I shared this story with several female friends and discovered that almost all of them had similar, if not worse, stories, incidences of men showing fevered interest and demonstrating verbal commitment only to disappear without communication or any apparent remorse. I quickly realized that what I'd experienced was the extremely common careless exercise of casual emotional abuse, of bringing someone into your life in an intimate manner only to flick them away like breadcrumbs off a dinner table. In fact, breadcrumbing is the relatively new term to expand beyond modern dating lexicons like ghosting and houseplanting to mean someone who texts sporadically with no intention of committing to you romantically. So this casual emotional tumult feels like a particularly zeitgeisty phenomenon and at the heart of it is a misuse of language. It's an economic model of emotional exploitation that functions best for the deliberately agile and cruel. So what men tend to do is don't text, completely disengage if you must, wait a week and respond with one or two words max. I felt ashamed that I went on to spend more than $350 on therapy sessions to unburden my heart by talking about the incident with a psychologist, although I recognised my extravagant privilege to be able to access this service. I felt bitter, though, that I had let this incident even make a dent in my wallet, not just my head and my heart. Later, I interrogated my history books, i.e. diaries from my teenage years, and realised that the source of all these feelings came from individual boys and men, and from a collective body of men, and all operating on their terms, aka the patriarchy. As a fiercely committed feminist, I felt ashamed of letting my heart be swayed by a member of the group whose existence have historically oppressed people like me. 
So anyway, I go on to talk about um, sort of wanting to build a model of human connection that's not based on performance or power play mm -hmm. because I feel like a lot of these men, um, they ghost people. And then, you know, I've had incidents of men writing back to me months and months later, like half a year later, and just pretend as though nothing had happened. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that they just want the sort of affirmation of a response. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't really want you in their life. They just kind of feed off neglect mm -hmm. and then come back into your life when they when they feel like they need something more in their own lives. Like, I feel that's mm -hmm. just, like, deeply, deeply sort of emotional exploitation. Yeah, and I think it's not uncommon. And before we move on any further, I just want to kind of change the tone of the atmosphere after your piece of writing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because millennials dating world is so confusing to me. I feel like if oh I jump God. back to the dating world now, <laughs> I will like, get drowned immediately. You know, the the term ghosting, I heard about 10 years ago, but when I first yeah. heard of it, I thought it was stalking. I think you actually stalk <laughs> other people because I thought that, oh, yeah. ghost is something that hovers around a person. Yeah, hovers around it? people, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought, you know, it's stalking, isn't it? And, like, it's totally the opposite. Um, yeah. So there's a communication um, problem, I think, with ghosting. Um, I've read up a couple of pieces. It's about lack of communication, sometimes the fear of confrontation. But basically, yeah. it's just down to the power dynamics of a single person who is just usually man who just do doesn't care because yeah. they are entitled to think that they can like you say, abandon or neglect other people. And I've just said it um, before that it's not uncommon because it happens so frequently over yeah. generations. And I've seen a lot of stories in our parents' generations that just the husband just abandoned their whole family. Yeah. Go on to, I don't know, somewhere his excuses will be like, oh, I need to find myself. I need to go paint in Tahiti. <laughs> I need to go somewhere and find myself. Yeah, um, exactly. I can't hold. I can't handle the pressure anymore, and yeah. just left the whole family with the wife or the woman, yeah. whoever's taking care of the kids. Even yeah. he, he's the husband's parents as well. I've seen a lot of incidents that the man just walks out of the life, literally, yeah. Yeah. and left everything to the woman. Yeah, and they come back like decades later when they're old and fragile, and they need someone to take and care regretful. of them. Yeah, exactly. Usually, sometimes regretful, but not all the time. Yeah. yeah. And want someone to take care of them. Yeah, and they just, like, penetrate back into the women's lives yeah, and as though nothing had happened. Nothing. Yeah. And, yeah, and on their own terms. They never think about how they're, what they're doing can mm -hmm. affect the other person. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. so selfish. It's deeply, deeply selfish behaviour that very. men, on, in general, just do not ever really think about. Because I think we naturalise that. We normalise it in our culture, in our stories, in our history of, you know, if you just look at all the composers, classical music composers, you look at sportsmen, you look at Einstein, who apparently fucking abused his wife. Um, you know, geniuses, right? Well, we call them geniuses. Um, people in power have historically called them geniuses, and so we have inherited that language and that definition. These men have done awful things in their personal lives, and it's normalised. That's why normal men who are not geniuses just find it so easy to do that because there's such a long history of men just leaving things mm -hmm. like be it communication be it whole families be it relationships without consequence you know mm -hmm. with no accountability the normalization you get down comes down to how the society and particular culture have constructed 
that kind of normalization. Because, yeah, like, exactly. for example, I'm always going to come back to this term, Zhong Nan Qin Yu, because it yeah. still happens. Yeah. It's not going to go away anytime soon. Yeah. And all the focuses are still on the main. Just try to compare how many single parents are out there and who are taking more responsibilities of their kids. Yeah. Usually yeah. we'll see a lot more single mothers compared to yeah. single fathers. I mean, single fathers, yeah. you don't see a guy that would call himself a single dad. Father, yeah. yeah I I've mean, never actually heard the term single father. Yeah, it's always single mother. Yeah. Why is that? It's like uh, if they're, they're divorced and the dad's, unless that he's... You know, he lost his partner mm. through a tragic accident. Yeah. If it's through divorce, he's never going to call himself single father because why? Because the kids are with the mum. Yeah. Usually are with the mum. The mum would take most of the custody, you know, period of time. Yeah. And I, I know there's an unfairness to it. I just want to see how we can change that kind of, uh, how we can change the whole construction of men who should be knowing how to communicate if you're in the situation that you just want to disengage and you don't know how to do it but instead of confronting someone they just cut you off yeah because they're cowards one they are cowards and two they were not taught how to communicate because they were yeah. taught to grow up in an environment of not feeling any emotions you know, a lot of boys are yeah. still out there that have been criticised of being um, sad or depressed because yeah. it's a sign of weakness, which is wrong. It's very, yeah. very wrong. Yeah. I hope that in the, you know, next generations that uh, we can actually open up and unpack a lot of this kind of shit and talk about it with the younger generations because yeah. I certainly don't want to see this to continue. I don't want to see my kids going through relationships um, having very bad communication skills. Yeah. Often, like, in my dating life, because I'm so, like, very forward in what mm -hmm. I want and also I'm very, like, unapologetic about liking sex, I think the men I've met have been really intimidated by that. That's apparently what my friends say. And I'm so sick of men who are hetero. There's nothing less attractive than a heterosexual guy who is intimidated by a confident mm -hmm. woman. And that's seriously been, like, my dating history. Like, falling in love really quickly with these seemingly really kind, soft-hearted men mm. who seem to warm to my... and get excited by my sort of sexual veracity. And then, like, in the end, like, very quickly I realise that, you know, so often I'll just, like, suddenly get ghosted by them or breadcrumb, which is another term, breadcrumbers, mm -hmm. where they like send you sporadic messages or slide into your DMs mm -hmm. here and there, throw you an Instagram just frequently to show you that they haven't lost complete interest, but like they also not, you're just someone who they think about on like a Friday night when their initial plans have been cancelled and they're lying in bed alone they need a booty and call. scrolling through their contact uh -huh. lists and like, oh, who's like, who haven't I contacted who I'd like an affirmation uh -huh. from? Oh, this girl I met like six months ago, I want to see what she's doing this weekend like fuck you mm -hmm. like do not do that like how dare you like set up someone's hopes and like flirt with them on a date and then like just disappear like mm -hmm. really just disappear mm -hmm. completely disappear from someone's life and expect to come back into someone's life as though nothing had happened mm -hmm. like the audacity of that that I've seen from men and like what really upsets me Helen and what really still makes my heart tremble is that I thought, I always thought I was a good judge of men, but like clearly I'm wrong 
Because like these men come to me and they're so soft and sweet and like literary and bookish and they're like, oh, I read like, I read um, um, female authors. I read like, mm. you know, in the, I don't know, like um, Ducks, Newberry Port or whatever that fucking thick book is. Like I'm so like literary and soft and I'm a feminist. And then like they end up going behind your back and just ghosting you. Mm. Like these men are even more, sometimes I think they're even more toxic than like alpha males. Mm-hmm who just at least, like, up front tell you whether or not they're interested. Mm. I think there's a term in Chinese, it's called beitai, spare mm. tire. A lot of this yeah. kind of men who are probably not alpha, I know alpha males do, they'll suddenly keep spare tires, like treating women oh. as a spare tires that, yeah. you know, on their contact list and then go through um, calling whoever's available tonight for a booty call. Um, yeah. Actually, I found another term when you told me about your incident. It's actually called zombie in zombie and ing. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it, it it means literally that when someone you're dating or engaging with just disappear out of blue, and then mm. it's not enough that you've been ghosted. It's the person returns months later. It's like coming yeah, exactly. back alive like a zombie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. That's that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and like it's so weird because I've had men in the past who had the decency, Mm. I guess at least, to like explain why they um, did what they Mm -hmm. did. You know, that's the least they could Mm -hmm. do. But still, I found that the behavior is super selfish. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't just expect to go into someone's life in a very deep way, come out of it, and then re-enter as though nothing had happened. Like, how dare you? How dare you? It is extremely, extremely. Um, violent and extremely negligent and extremely like I wish that there was a law against doing something like this like um, the emotional police should be out there arresting (laughs) these kind of people seriously yeah don't do that to people like if you've actively stopped communicating with someone just stop like don't you dare think that you can come back into someone's life like under no Mm. circumstances do you I I also like have this yeah like another incidence of like this guy who like just like you know and like in the last couple of months I've had more past um, relationship people come back into my life because my book has been published and then suddenly they're like oh "Oh, Jesse Jesse's like like a little bit well known Mm. now I'm gonna go hang out with her it's like that's annoying fuck you yeah that is annoying fuck off (laughs) You know, you did not respect me back then. Why do you think I will let you into my life now? Mm-hmm. Like, how dare you? How do you usually respond to them? Oh, um, well, I give them what they gave me because there is no world in which I... They, in no world do, would I ever give them any ounce of respect mm-hmm. that, in which they did not give me. Like, the respectful thing would be, for, if I was a saint, I would write back to them and mm-hmm. say, like, I acknowledge what you've sent me, but I'm not going to, you know, see you. Mm. But um, that's the thing, like, um, the least that they could have done when they decided to leave your life, leave my life, was, like, acknowledge that they were not interested. Mm-hmm. Just say, I'm just say I'm busy and I'll get the point, right? Mm-hmm. Or just be upfront about where you're at, like, I'm seeing someone else or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? There is no possible world in which I... that. I will give them anything that, like, rem- half of... I won't even give them an, an, an inch of myself mm-hmm. because they don't deserve it. You don't want to invest any more emotional labour Yeah, exactly. For them. And and it's, it's, yeah, it's just not and right. It's just, yeah. And the thing is, like, it's deeply shameful. Like, I don't... I'm not proud that I have spent months... No, I, I haven't spent months, but, yeah, I guess a few 
men in the past, in the recent years, where I have spent months, like, really being sad mm -hmm. over... Like, I would say it was, like, an emotional, slow emotional grief mm -hmm. that took years to... Like, months to bleed out. It's so violent when they decide to just come back into your life because, like, reinvigorates all of that grief mm -hmm. that you went mm -hmm. through all those times. Yeah, yeah I understand, yeah. I wonder how that plays out in usual friendship. Did you happen? Mm. Do you think that it happens around friendships as well? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you think that hurt as much? What do you think? Oh yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I think so. Mm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, my friendships are as like the friendship breakups I've had and the turmoil that I've experienced with female friends and male mm -hmm. friends. Has been just as um, wounding, mm -hmm. I guess, but like I've never been violently ghosted by a female friend. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've never completely ignored me. I see. Well, you're very lucky, you know, at least that one of your side, you know, friendship wise, that you haven't experienced the same. I think I have not a lot, two or three, that has just completely gone off grid. I think they, they are like, personal reasons but they refuse to explain it like even within the mm. group of friend circles that we just mm. literally don't know where that person has gone we know that that person is alive but they just refuse mm. to communicate with anyone else yeah. I, I know that there's probably personal reasons but it's just i mean friendship is there to you know assist or at least lend the ear to listen if that person refuses yeah. to even to open up it's really harmful any of us to help them. I just hate that um, men can kind of, they have always the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. on their side. Like um, when I've told my female friends about um, their behavior, often they'll say, oh, maybe he's just oblivious or maybe he's really not aware that he's doing this and, you know, X, Y, Z. And I really hate that because like... You're just giving um, them the excuse. Yeah, exactly. Like men can get away with being oblivious Oblivion, I think, is another way of saying um, disrespectful or inconsiderate or unsympathetic or just, like, not thinking about other people, yeah, which selfish. is, like, those people should just not even be born. If you yeah. don't think about other people, you don't deserve to live on this earth. Yeah. Seriously. Like, I don't want to be around any kind of selfish person who puts their own priorities first, you know? Like, that is so repulsive. But that's kind of contradictive because as a woman, we still have to put ourselves first. I mean, to we a level, we, we, need to, we need to find a balance. It's always finding a balance that is yeah. hard. But um, communication. Yeah, what's, what's with men just doesn't have communication skills that is yeah. enough to engage in a proper relationship. I know that there's a, a like... There's a lot of marriage breakdowns that's because that the men are literally so dumb they have no idea or they I wonder if it's the problem that they refuse to engage in the communication or right. they mm. uh, literally do not have the ability to understand what their partner is saying. Yeah, going through yeah. It. yeah, because they've spent their lives in a male body. Yeah. And they're not Oh used yeah, to or the world that is just, just been so advantages yeah, for like, the man they don't have to yeah. care yeah exactly it's almost like we we actually see different spectrums mm -hmm. like our eyesight just actually detects different rays of light or whatever mm -hmm. yeah different lens i really think so yeah. and um yeah like i think my problem my biggest problem is that um for me i actually love like 
communicating and being generous and like always texting. Like I'm always giving because that's how I move through the world. Like I'm always and when some and people and this is what I've had to come to terms with in my relationships and my friendships. Like um, it always hurts me when people don't give me as much as I give them. Mm. Like it's never a 50-50 exchange. It's mm-hmm. always like a 70-30 exchange. And I've just slowly like had to maybe learn that um, even though giving giving really gives me joy, I really need to get as well. Otherwise, I'm just not sustain. I, my life is not mm-hmm. sustainable if I'm just always giving. Yeah, I remember that Chinese term now that I was going to say earlier. It's called tin sun dian. The point that you stop yourself and if you go beyond that, you will lose rather than gain. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. So that's a turning investment, I think. What's 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 ting sun dian? What's what ting is stop, sun is damage, yeah, and yeah. dian is the point. Mm. So that's a literal translation. Stop yeah, damage point. Yeah. So where yeah. I, I don't know the I really English like investment terms. Yeah, if anyone knows that, they can yeah leave us a comment and let us know. Yeah. yeah. I think only women need to know that that the boundaries. You just have to stop, yeah. otherwise it's any going any further, you're just going to de- do damage. There's not going to be any investment returns at all. Yeah. It's just going to be damage. I remember speaking to a really, really um, great friend. She's in her mid-40s and she's quite high profile. And she was telling me that all around her, her friends in their 40s, were getting suddenly, like within a year, we're all getting divorced. <laughs> yeah, yeah and I understand. Like, what's going on? I understand. Yeah, and then she told me, uh-huh. That it was like women suddenly realizing that it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Like they they weren't getting enough in yeah. their marriages, yeah. and that they knew that they still had what fifty years ahead of them. That they weren't going to live in a state of deprivation mm-hmm. within their own marriage. Mm-hmm. And I found that really brave. And like I I seriously think like I'll probably get married one day and then like divorce my husband at fifty <laughs> and then start like a first wives club. <laughs> like that'll be my dream. Like, cause I've all like all of yeah. like I think, um, like just speaking to my past relationships, um, all of my most fulfilling relationships have been with women. Seriously, like I, I honestly think I'll end up with a woman. There, there's actually like a, um, I think it was a YouTube channel or something like that. I saw somewhere randomly that there's a group uh-huh. of um six or eight women who are in their I don't know thirties tw- uh, or their forties and mm. because they they're all cis women, okay? This is in China. Yeah. yeah. And they all came into acknowledgement knowing that having relationship with, with men is just detrimental for them on emotional health. They decided well, yeah. to yeah. they're a group of friends, okay? They just decided mm. to invest all their money together and buy a huge mansion and live together. Oh my god, that is my <laughs> utopia. But I wonder how that's going to work because every every one of them are individuals as well. They, they're bound to have yeah. conflicts as well, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, nothing is perfect, right? Yeah. This, yeah, this, this subject matter makes me really sad. Yeah, you need to go and see a therapy. Yeah, yeah because like you said, Helen, like I still have this, I still maybe have this kind of like idea of the perfect relationship. Oh, don't. And like... <laughs> Yeah, and like I'm always sad when it's not perfect. Mm. But everyone's standard of perfect is very different. And it goes up mm. and down, you know, through the period mm. of time. You can't have perfect all the time. I think every relationship is very are very different. How individual responses to your relationship and their own relationships are very different as well. I, I can't give anyone advice on this, this situation. 
to be honest. Mm. I feel like because everyone's resilience are very different as well. Like you feel yeah. deeply saddened. Yeah. I wonder how is that reflect into our childhood connection with our own parents? Because I remember mm. you growing up, you feel you you used to tell me that you feel not as being seen because you're the youngest. Mm. And dad mm. hasn't really committed as much time. But whereas me, the elders that I don't I feel similar as well because it was me and then kind of came our brother who was a boy in yeah. the family and a lot of attention was placed on him and mm. female were considered to do most of the housework. I think it's just the confidence just gradually built up. I think especially yeah. when I met my uh husband like before we got married, I think my confidence has really risen up because he respected me enough that I feel like I have the yeah. value in the relationship yeah, and also beautiful. in the society as well. I had really crappy yeah. relationship before I met him. I had guys who ghosted uh-huh. me as well. And yeah. I know that I'm just happy that I didn't end up with them. I know. what I think what's shameful about my past is that um, I've had a few instances where, like, a guy would ghost me and then I would actually re-engage with them mm. and then think, oh, maybe he was really actually busy and then give him a second chance and then they would ghost me again. Oh, fuck. And that would be just, like, doubly shameful because I'm older now and I think a lot of our listeners are in their 20s. I just want to say for the women out there, like, if a guy ghosts you, just, like, the first thing you should do is delete their number and delete, like, just erase them mm. and any kind of evidence that they had left in your life and um, try your best in whatever way you want to do. I'm not going to tell you how to move on, but seriously, you cannot linger on these men. They're so not worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I, I wish I could be the emotional police and, like, <laughs> help women through this stage of, like, being ghosted because it's so prevalent. You'll be just but, like, going I'll, on the street and shooting on a man. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I don't want to do that, but I want to, like, go out and hold these women's hand, young women's hand, and just, like, Walk them counsel through. them through it yeah. and say, like, seriously, they don't deserve you. For me, it's such a personal endeavour for mine, for me to, like, want to advise women against just, like, lingering on these pathetic men. Mm-hmm. This man would only ghost you because they determine your worth and you shouldn't let exactly. them determine your value in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. When you told me that you want to do ghosting, I kind of reflect on my past relationship and I had this friend, a male friend. We were kind of like a in the, what do you call it, platonic relationship since we're yeah. in like since we were 14 like uh-huh. i feel like when when we were teenagers we really knew each other uh-huh. but we never really moved beyond a very very good relate uh, friendship and i really uh-huh. liked him and i wanted uh-huh. to move on but he's always kind of on and off he seems like he's interested in one moment and then next week he just seems disinterested again he's talking to other girls uh-huh. Um, so this was in high school. Um, so anyone who's listening, who who knows me, this wasn't in our school. He was someone who was out of school. And we caught up at the almost at the end of high school again. He showed interest again when we were around 18. And we kind of connected for like, you know, over the summer, you know, the year that mm. we finished doing our HSC. And mm. we start seeing each other again. We're kind of, I feel like that period of time we moved into like an official boyfriend and girlfriend, but he never uh-huh. verbally ex- expressed it. Okay, so this is the point that it got worse. And then he just totally cut me off 
when the 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 semester started, like the university. He didn't co- wow. he didn't continue his tertiary education. I didn't know where he'd gone. He just cut me off, like no mm-hmm. communication at all, no text, nothing. So when I was focusing on my uni study, I thought that okay, he's given up, or I just doesn't want to continue anymore. Uh-huh. And then about a year later, in my second year on my uni, as in like he spoke to my friend and asking how I was doing, and that was the mm-hmm. time that I was going out with my current husband. Husband, yeah. 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 And then he decided that he wanted to come to one of my birthday gatherings. Mm-hmm. Like out of nowhere, after more than a year, you know, cut mm-hmm. me off, something like yeah. that. Yeah. And then he told my friend that he wanted to see who I was going out with. Mm. Yeah. And then he came to the gathering at the restaurant. And I remember that day he seems really distant. Mm-hmm. Like even I want to show him like, you know, we've been know each other for almost, you know, like what, um, seven, eight years. There's a, yeah. There should be like a connection. But he seems yeah. so distant. Yeah, and after that he just didn't contact me anymore for some reason that my friend told me that oh he, he just want to see who you're going out with as if that he think that he has the right to determine my value of who I'm seeing yeah that's so fucked up yeah I think it was just so, so fucked it's up it's a sense of like paternalistic yeah factor that all men have like I own this woman or I, I've had relations with this woman so I should be the judge of whether the other men are worthy of her mm. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that exactly. That guy is completely fucked up. Yeah. I'm so glad he's not in your life. <laughs> I'm glad as well. Yeah. And I'm, like, also really glad that none of the men who ghosted me are in my life now because, like, I'm now with a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. And, like, it all kind of... It was, it was nice that it all brought me to this nice... Like, I'm not saying, you know this is the end, like, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying, like, uh, the current person I'm seeing is going to be the final person I'll ever see, but I'm just, like, there's a reason for everything, yes. and I feel a lot of shame by the fact that my heart takes so long to get over, like, even one date, one beautiful date with a man, and, you know, you get it, like, you fall mm. in love, like, I, I get it, I fall in love very quickly, um, it can really wound me for months afterwards, I agree with that, yeah. You just have to find someone who is as sensitive as you. I think you found him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably more sensitive than yeah, me. I know. <laughs> okay, anything else that you want to add before that we rounded up this episode? Yeah, um, I, I just um hope that you, all the women listening out there, really put a hand over your own heart and just like heal it yourself and try and think. Well, like, like I, I used to think like this is the metric I used to put on myself. Like, I, I would ask myself, would you let your daughter be treated this way? Mm. Like, I don't know if I'll ever have a daughter in my life, but if I did, I always say, like, how I would reflect on how I was being treated and I'd ask myself, would you want your daughter to be treated that way, this way? And if it's a no, then just really you need to put yourself in another position where you're away from toxic men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's a good metric, Hel? I think like, that's a good metric. Like, do you ask yourself, um, would you want your daughter to go through this? Like, Well, it depends your daughter's personality. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually fear that my daughter is the one who goes... Bullying people. Other people. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know what kind of metaphor that I can put on here. 
But yeah, to all the young women out there, I just feel like put yourself first. I, I think a lot of media movies that have stereotyped woman heartbreaking scenes are as pathetic, and that's why mm, women yeah. don't want to fall into that trap. Yeah, you know, look at Bridget Jones's when we were growing up. Yeah, it's just yeah. they 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 create a very bad image. Yeah. For women to look at, or young women to look at, and they think, "Oh, I'm not gonna be. I, I don't want to be yeah, like that in my thirties. Yeah, yeah, and I might just as well as taking up this man because I don't want to be like that, which is yeah. very wrong, you know. I, I remember reading something like a headline on or a Twitter saying that, "Oh, um, woman in the '90s and the early 2000s are scared of be become Bridget Jones." But now, women in the in twenty twenty, they want to become Bridget Jones because it's better to be being single. Really? Yeah. yeah. Put yourself first. We should do a pod on just like the single woman trope. <laughs> yeah, I know. Where I could get to rant about sex. I in the know. City. Yeah, yeah. We, we should. should. There was two articles I read this week. Fuck. There's yeah. no one writing about single men. Like single woman yeah. topic comes up every two years. Yeah. And why is that? Because it's a problem in society. Pro- because society cannot compute single women. Far out. Do your spiel, Helen. Okay. Yeah. Before I do the usual, I just want to mention that um, our listener Justine has shared on her Instagram story that she purchased the novel before the coffee gets cold and mentioned our podcast on her Instagram. You know, thank you so much, Justine, for supporting our podcast. Um, and get the book, everyone. It's a very yeah. heartwarming reading. And I, I think I mentioned it before. There's a They produced it into a movie as well. So look it up if you can. It's a very well done movie with a lot of Japanese settlemental styles. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Okay, so anyway, thank you again to our listeners. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple. We are now on Acast. If you have enjoyed our show, please give our podcast a five-star rating and share with your friends. We are now with ACAST support, so if you like, um, you can support our show by donation, buy us a coffee or a chai latte. You'll be able to find our updates on Facebook and Instagram, just search Asian Bitches Down Under. We'll welcome discussions and feedbacks. Um, yeah, so let's, let's wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. chat to you next chat week, to you guys. next time. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye.